Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in and welcome back. I've been taking a break, I think it's been about a month, and trying not to feel really guilty about taking this time off. I'm glad to be back, but unfortunately I am back for this one last episode. So today we're wrapping up season two, and hopefully I managed to put together season three for not too long from now. I am not making any promises, but that's my goal. It's been a ride the last almost nine months. It's something that I am not going to start sharing right now. I am saving that for season three and four, possibly. So the idea for today is that we take a little walk down memory lane. I usually plan these episodes, these solo episodes, at least a little layout of what I'm going to talk about, but I haven't done that for today. So expect this to be a bit bumpy, maybe some edits, just in case I start babbling. Um, the idea is to give you guys a feel of what the eight years of battling infertility was for for me and Leo and of course mostly my side and also the things that we have applied in our lives our day-to-day and how that ultimately got us to where we are today. Of course if you've been following us you know that it's taken us about eight years to get pregnant. I know that maybe some things can be a bit triggering, although I am not going to talk about pregnancy at all. But, you know, protect yourself and your heart. And if you feel that any of this might not be good for you today, just take a pause and and come back when you're ready. But the idea really is that I go through all the things that we've done that affected or I feel have affected the results of our treatment, especially the the second IVF that we did. So if we backtrack a little bit and go back to 2012, end of 2012 is when I stopped birth control. So the first thing that they tell us is to wait about three months to detox your body, make sure that it's cleared of of all the hormones from birth control that avoid you ovulating. So you can have a healthy cycle and then you can start trying to conceive. Um, That doesn't always happen. So that's the first thing to be mindful of. My period did return right away but so did my terrible cramps and breakouts. So that was um, frustrating on its own. And, but I did have like regular cycles. So that felt encouraging and 
kind of told me, or I sort I thought that, you know, I was probably ovulating fine. And besides the terrible cramping that I've had my whole life, that were a bit suppressed by the birth control. Um, apart from that, that I thought everything was okay. We did take that break that they recommend. And then when we started trying, I was traveling. So I think that's the first kind of advice, if you will. If you're listening to this and you do have a job where you travel a lot or it's like very stressful, you're changing time zones, all of that affects your period, the health of your cycles. I had no idea. And of course, I was younger when I started traveling. So the um, trips weren't affecting my cycle so much. But at that point, when we started trying, I was already 30 to 31. And I did start noticing that my cycles were either getting like really short or really long. So that's already like a sign that your body's getting affected by something. The time zone was what I thought maybe was doing that. So the plan A, which was, you know, keep on with doing what you're doing. I was traveling, working normally. And when I get pregnant, I'll just tone it down and see how it goes. That was plan A. That went out the window when we realized it wasn't working. So I had to stop traveling. And yeah, and then start paying attention, more attention onto my cycles and seeing how that worked. So a few things that I did in the beginning, and of course, you know, everything that I say today, the disclaimer is, take it with a grain of salt. I am in no position to give medical advice. All I can do is share my own experience and hopefully empower you to look after um, experiences and options that will help your situation. So yeah, so one of the things that I did was trying to track my cycle. So taking my body basal, uh, my basic body temperature, or basal body temperature. Yeah. And that is the temperature that we take, sorry, very early in the morning before you do anything. So literally like before you go to the washroom, before you put your feet down on the floor, take a sip of water, anything. You just turn around, grab the thermometer and take your temperature. And and then you track that. And it's supposed to go up once you ovulate and then drop down once you get your period or just before you get your period. So there's lots and lots of experts talking about how to do that properly. So I definitely recommend. I will put down some resources on the episode notes so you guys can take a look at that. So yes, yeah, so once I started doing that, I did managed to realize that yes, I was ovulating. It was a little challenging in the beginning to to get it right but then you start seeing the patterns and and everything seemed kind of okay the only thing I noticed was that my luteal phase so between ovulation and period was a bit short at times which is not good because it means that 
the um, lining of the uterus and all of that is not having the time to thicken. You're getting your period a bit too soon. And um, if that that phase is short, it means that even if you did fertilize an egg naturally, you probably would miscarry because the uterus rather is not supporting the implantation, right, of that fertilized egg. So that was one thing um, to be kind of observed. The other thing I got, which was a Colito gadget, was a microscope. And I bought it off Amazon and just reading it reviews, it seemed interesting. And it seemed a little bit just, I don't know, easier, less stressful than ovulation strips. So ovulation strips is where you pee um, on a stick and it gives you the level of your hormones and tells you when you're ovulating and when you're supposed to have sex. I never did that one. That's one of the few things that I haven't done in this whole journey. It felt to me like it was a lot of money and just stressful to have something to do like that every day for a certain period of time on your cycle. And a lot of those strips and the the waste and everything. So I, I decided not to do that ultimately. But this microscope thing is a saliva test. It's very interesting. It's um, literally a mini microscope that looks like a lipstick. And you put a little bit of saliva, it dries out, and then it has a pattern. So you put the thing back on the lipstick-like container, and then you look through it like you're looking through a kaleidoscope. Calido <laughs> How do you say that? Kaleidoscope. Anyways, so you look through it, and, or like a telescope, that's easier to say. So you look through it like a telescope and you see the pattern of your saliva and the pattern changes from your infertile um, phase of your cycle and into your fertile phase. It's very, very interesting. And um, that's the kind of like my geeky self likes more than, you know, just seeing a plus or a smiley face on a pea stick. So I enjoyed doing that and was like so fascinated to see the difference. And I knew exactly when my fertile window was. So that little microscope thing together with the body temperature kind of helped me know where my fertile window was. So, you know, we continue trying and using those windows, but it wasn't really working. So ultimately, I'm not going to get into details on the just terrible day at the fertility clinic when my first doctor gave me the news that it would probably be impossible for me to get pregnant naturally. That is on a different episode. It's um, episode six of season two, actually. So you can check that out and how that went down. It was not a very 
pleasant experience. So a lot happened. And then, you know, it just dawned on me that I wasn't as healthy as I felt or as healthy as I looked or thought I was. And that I wanted to do something about it. So the first thing that happened in our house was I got rid of all the toxic stuff in the kitchen. So starting with plastics, so got rid of all the plastic containers and plastic things that could like potentially melt or um, seep into food kind of thing, like big spoons and stuff like that. Just got rid of all of that and replaced it with glass containers and stainless steel kitchen stuff and silicone as well. So silicone and stainless steel and glass. Not a cheap um, endeavor, if you will. So, you know, if you decide or when you decide to do that, just take it like baby steps, you know, do one thing at a time, maybe trying to find um, sales at um, kitchen stores, kitchen supply stores, and do one thing at a time. You don't have to do it all at once. But those are very important things. Um, microwave, we already didn't have one for years. So that was that. That was like how we started or how I started. And I'm driving Leo a little bit crazy. But it was super important to try and maximize what I had under my control, right? Because the infertility journey really teaches you that you don't have control over so much. It does feel empowering to find these little pockets of, of things that you do have control over and and try to, you know, gain a little bit of confidence and empowerment, like I said, over these things. So then the next thing was chemicals in like the house in general, and then our bodies. So beauty products and, you know, day to day stuff. So if I went through, let's say my um, kind of like laundry, um, cleaning product section. So detergent, what I decided to do was Google DIY um, detergent for our laundry and also for a dishwasher. So I managed to do that. So I did sort of a mix between buying um, natural green products as much as possible and making my own. Making your own, of course, is time consuming, but it saves you money. So, you know, it's kind of a balance if you have the time and the energy. And of course, if it's accessible for you to buy these isolated products, then go ahead. It is not difficult to make your own laundry detergent. And it's not true that it doesn't clean properly because it does. Um, my husband, I always say, Leo is in construction and we wash his clothes and they come out super clean and not smelly or dusty out of the washer and the dryer. So super doable. But we don't always have, you know, the time and energy. So looking for something that is natural also dropping the fabric softener 
I'm using something like vinegar, just plain white vinegar is a, a very good um, fabric softener, providing that your machine runs okay with it. So watch for that. And making a big effort to ditch the um, sheets, the dryer sheets. So those I think would be the worst. They have been proven to be like carcinogenic. So that's a big no-no. So they have very strong um, scents that are um, very heavy um, endocrine disruptors, which means that they affect your hormones. They trick your body thinking that you have enough hormones like estrogen, for example, and then your body doesn't produce enough and it's a whole big shit show. So really watch the detergent, the softener, the dryer sheets. An option is wool balls. Um, so that's what we got. They are an investment. They feel really heavy priced um, when you buy them. The same with essential oils. So you would put the essential oils on the wool balls, but they last so long. So if you think about how many boxes of dryer sheets you would get, the wool balls will last you a long time too. And a bottle of essential oil goes a very long way. And you'll feel so good you know, about making that decision as well. Because everything that we put in our skin, our skin is absorbing. So be really mindful about how you're, or where you're putting your money when you're buying this these kind of products. Then we go to the washroom. Oh, no, sorry. So if we stay there close to the laundry, um, there are the cleaning products, right? So what you use to clean your floors, your bathroom, your um, kitchen counters, etc. So again, you don't need much. We are, I don't know, like brainwashed by the media and, and TV ads to thinking that we need all these fancy products. We really don't. So I reduced our cleaning products to a box of baking soda, jug of white vinegar, water, and essential oils, especially tea tree oil because it's a natural antibacterial, it smells great, but there are others as well that have very good um, cleaning properties. So not that challenging. Again, on the long run, it will probably save you money to, to buy those individual ingredients versus the store-bought. Nothing wrong with the store-bought, just make sure that it's not the chemical stuff. Um, another thing that we did that we weren't very adamant and today we actually changed our shower heads so we don't have it anymore, but I'd like to mention is a filter for your shower. So that will help with the chlorine that's in the water in a lot of places. So if you're trying to decrease the chemicals as much as possible and everything that's like literally like hitting your skin, that would be something, right? So clean water. Of course, filters on your drinking water, super important as well, as well as 
eating as clean as possible. So I am not going to sit here and preach about organic food. I know it's not accessible and affordable for lots of us. I know that we can take baby steps. So for example, looking at the um, dirty dozen list. So if you just Google dirty dozen foods, it will give you a dozen um, fruits and vegetables that are high in pesticides and then try to at least avoid most of them and try to buy organic you know, try to buy local from local farmers. There are a lot of local farmers that are not certified organic, but they don't use pesticides. And if they do use some sort of um, repellent or whatnot for, for bugs, they are sometimes natural, right? So like garlic sprays and stuff like that. So that's my two cents on sort of the house itself, you know, everything that's inside of your home and what you, what's around you, what's going to be placed on you, your skin and stuff and in you by eating and drinking. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit into our treatments. So the first thing that we did was 2015, we did two rounds of IUI, so the insemination, and that didn't work. Then in 2016 to, to 17 is when we did our first round of IVF. And th this is where I find that I can actually do a bigger comparison. So the first round, we had three embryos, all three fertilized. We did a fresh transfer that didn't work. And then two frozen transfers back to back. The first thing I would like to bring your attention to is the mental part of it. So mentally and emotionally, I was in a very, very shitty space. I feel very regretful that I didn't take a look at it before I continued the treatment after the first failed transfer. I feel regretful that the clinic didn't proactively look into that either. They were more than happy to do my transfers back to back, which looking back, I do not think was a good idea at all. Just even just simply looking at my mental state, never mind my physical um, situation which was also not great. My first transfer was really traumatizing because I had to do the, the pio shots, the progesterone in oil shots that completely debilitated me. I couldn't work because I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain. It was really depressing. The second and third transfer, I changed to suppositories only, and they also didn't work, but the stress of it all 
I'm sure it didn't help. I'm not saying that's the only reason, not at all, but it is a piece of the puzzle that we have to take seriously as well. So I am very happy when I see that clinics proactively recommend talking to a counselor, a therapist, support groups to encourage you to look at your mental health as or before doing treatment. So those were our results, right? We had the three. The doctor did not recommend us do the genetic testing because we only had three. And I don't really regret that at all. But I also wonder, you know, what the results would have been. I know it's easy to look back and, and analyze it from this vantage point. But that's my feeling. So just sort of trying to, to, to put some perspective into the whole picture from then till now. So after the third transfer failed, I, we took a break, which I'm thankful for. Leo was the sane one in the house and he put his foot down and said, no, um, we need to get back on our feet, um, both emotionally and financially, and then we can think about another round. So that's what happened. Then, um, very interestingly, I ended up going to my osteopath and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he looked at me and he said, wow, you're bloated. (laughs) I felt so self-conscious. It was awful. I also had breakouts and it just did not look very good. And he could tell right away. So yeah, anyways, he's treating me and he said, you know, your bowels are really inflamed. Maybe you should try going gluten-free. So I took his advice. It was the only thing I did, just the gluten-free. So I'm, again, not saying that this is going to be an issue for everyone, not at all. Some people can eat gluten until the cows come home and feel absolutely fine. But it's a wake-up call, let's say, that sometimes not everything that we eat, even if it's, you know, healthy, it not always agrees with you. And it doesn't mean you're going to have a huge flare up. Sometimes it's little things, right? And all of that will affect your immune system, your fertility included. So really changed my life and it made a huge difference. So I'm like, okay, damn it. Now I have to be this annoying gluten-free person. But that's okay, right? We we do what we have to do. I did feel so much better. Like, wow, I can eat a whole plate of food and not feel like shit. Isn't that amazing? So, you know, try to find if maybe there is something that you think might be normal, but are actually not. And maybe they're triggered by something that you haven't considered yet. So fast forward to me meeting this naturopath that is very intense yet amazing. He was really like a crucial um, part of the puzzle for me. So I did all of that and almost simultaneously I would say 
started looking into meditation and ended up with a mentor, which I love. So again, long story short, I am not saying, you know, everyone should just sit and meditate and that's going to be taken care of. But you do have to find some way to manage your mental health. So looking for whatever it is that helps you mentally get through it, right? So for me, it was the meditation. I tried a few different things until I got to the one that grounded me and really, really brought benefits. I, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, traveling, walking in nature, um, talking about it on social media. You know, I can see how some people use that as a coping mechanism, the sharing, right? Sharing their journey, helping other people get through what they're going through as well. Don't forget the mental component. So if we put that all together, right? So we have the changes in the house. So the things that you use, right? On your day-to-day, -day, the kitchen, the stuff in the bathroom, not having a microwave, filtering your water. Then you go into the food. So paying attention if something triggers your immune system. Do you have a reaction, even if it's mild? And you know, it doesn't have to be 100%. So if you can do it at least 80% and 20%, you're sort of falling off the wagon a bit. That's still okay. Looking at supplements, vitamins that you may be lacking. I didn't mention specifically, but vitamin D is a huge thing. So when I was, um, let's say, diagnosed, quote unquote, with infertility, um, unexplained infertility, let's say, the, the only thing really that they could say is that my AMH was low. Then much, much later, I learned that if you're deficient in vitamin D, it can affect the results of that blood work. So, you know, it's things that you don't really realize because they're not mainstream. No one talks about it. So that's a big one. So look at your vitamin D and make sure that you're in a constant good level throughout the whole year. Um... The mental aspect, right? So finding what relaxes you. Do you need to talk more about it? Do you need to talk less about it? Are people bugging you so much because they know that you're trying? Do you constantly have triggers like baby showers? Like people asking you, oh, are you pregnant yet? Like that sort of stuff that can be really triggering. Try to pull yourself away from that. Or try to do some sort of work, for example, meditation, that teaches you how to not take that so personally, remove yourself a little bit from other people's expectations and comments, etc. So now we arrive in 2019. So that was October... Um, 2019, when we saw our new doctor, which is on episode two 
of season one, Dr. Liebrach from Create Fertility Center here in Toronto. Definitely recommend you listen to that episode if you are in treatment or thinking about it. It's a brilliant episode with him. So we meet with him and yeah, really, really liked him right from the start. It just aligned, right? I I saw that his principles and his protocol would align better with the way that I chose to lead my life um, versus the, the approach from the previous doctor. So it was a different clinic, different doctor, fresh start. We ended up deciding to do what they call batching of embryos, which means you do three IVF rounds to get as many eggs fertilized as possible. You freeze all the embryos, you test them genetically. At that point, I was already 37 years old. So you said from your age, it's better to test because especially if you're going for more embryos, you don't want to be transferring embryos that are not genetically normal and getting failed transfers or miscarriages and just losing more and more time as you're doing that. So trying to maximize the chances of success of implantation and carrying the baby full term. So the last thing I'd like to share is my experience with acupuncture. I talked a lot lot about naturopath and different things I've applied that are more um, alternative. So at this point, you know that I do love that kind of stuff. So I did try acupuncture, before we did our first IVF, I went to a, um, a Chinese doctor. She wasn't a fertility specialist though. So she had knowledge about the cycles. So she'd always ask me where I was in the month and then she'd applied accordingly. Of course, there was no success from from those cycles and and that time that I did that so it's hard to tell if it improved or not my my system a second time I tried an acupuncturist that was a fertility specialist she'd also like she did a thorough sort of history and background which was nice and she'd always also always ask where I was in my month and apply the needles accordingly I would feel very anxious going there. I've always had a needle phobia. So that's something that I talk quite openly throughout my podcast episodes. And I have since gotten much, much better. I think it's something that just comes with the journey of, of IVF and all the needles that we have to do. I'm, of course, not a fan of needles, which I think most people aren't, but I do not have a phobia anymore, which I am very um, grateful for. But I, at that time, I did have a lot of anxiety. So I would basically get like so anxious and so nervous before an appointment that the appointment itself or the treatment itself wouldn't actually make me feel much better in general. It would just get me back into my less anxious state, if you will. So it wasn't, it was kind of... I wouldn't go as far as saying counterproductive, but it wasn't very productive. Let's just put it that way. So fast forward on to 
the time where I, when I decided to change clinics and go to Create Fertility Center with Dr. Lee Brack. And then in November, so 2019, November, I started seeing Anne. So Anne from Energy Tree Studios was just an angel that that came into my life. She was recommended by a client. And I will just make a side note there and say, you know, if you feel in your gut that you want to share your journey with someone, do it because you never know what's going to come out of it. So she has a niece that went through fertility um, struggles also and she found Anne and Anne helped her and she got pregnant naturally so not to say that's gonna happen um, although you know Anne is a magician and she does miracles um, but you know she just told me one day she's like so my niece went through went to this um, place and that the lady helped her and you know maybe it's something that you can look into and I did and Anne she is like one of the most amazing human beings I know I couldn't go through this podcast without talking about her of course we didn't get pregnant naturally but I do believe with all my heart that she was partially responsible for the success of our IVF rounds So if you're in Toronto and you feel like you might benefit from this, send me a DM and I can send you her contact and try and um, hook you up. So Anne's approach is very specific. I remember Googling her and to see, you know, what she was about and where her clinic was and everything. And I found that her studies so where she went to train they have specific um, IVF training information so they learn all about the IVF the drugs and the procedures and what we're going through so they can help us out so it's very much like balancing hormones the energy and um, all your meridian lines etc etc that uh, acupuncture does so Yes, so I did that throughout all of my um, egg retrievals, as well as the three transfers. And she was very like, it would just blow my mind. I went there and she would tell me roughly where my where I was on my cycle. I'm like, how do you know? How do you remember? Even if you write that down, you know, so you can see like the commitment she has to her patients is just outstanding outstanding and each um, cycle with the transfer of course we did two transfers that didn't work she kept changing and tweaking you know let's try this let's try that let's do something a bit more intense and um, one thing in particular we did that was different were some Chinese herbs and also I went the day of the transfer before and after and it just felt so good and it felt so right you know and I know Anne doesn't always recommend that I remember her telling me she's like I don't think you you particularly need to do this but I just felt in my heart and in the um, the schedule just worked you know it was she's not there every day of the week and that particular transfer unlike the other ones was a day that she has clinic and I was able to go before in the morning 
and then go to the clinic for my transfer and then go there again in the end of the day. And her clinic, which is more like a studio, you know, more like a spa, actually, is a communal um, space. So everyone is lying down together, which might feel a bit um, or might sound a bit put off ish for some people that are more private but honestly like just the energy and the atmosphere that she creates there is really really um just so cozy and and um how can I say nurturing nurturing is the perfect word to describe and and um her as a person and her as a studio and a business and a brand is just nurturing so yes I wanted to just take this moment to to thank her and to share that and I know acupuncture is not maybe for everyone but if you have the chance to if you have the chance to go to Anne, do it like now. If you have a chance to find someone in your area that will support you that way, so, so, so important. The refreshing naps that I had on those beds were just priceless, priceless. So um, yeah, so that's, the, that's my experience with acupuncture. And to... To wrap it up, I would like to now share the results, the results of those rounds. The first round, we had four embryos, sorry, four eggs, and all of them fertilized, and all of them survived till day five or six. So we, from the first one, we had four frozen embryos. That was already like a huge win, um, even before we genetically tested them, because being three years older and getting a better result than we had previously was just, yeah, we were so, so happy. Then the second round was even better. We had, I think, six, six eggs we uh, uh six of them fertilized which was impressive and then five of them survived so one was lagging behind a little bit the poor little dude and then he didn't make it so five uh, five to six days we had the five embryos frozen third round we got eight eggs I told Dr. Liebrecht, I'm like, wow, you really went fishing for these. I don't know where you found eight of them <laughs> because on my ultrasounds, I they never told me that we had that many. But anyways, they ended up not being all mature. Six of them were six fertilized and six survived. Like, I have tears in my eyes because... It's the true proof that everything that I had done all those years paid off. All the changes that I implemented, the effort, the diet, the taking the supplements, spending the money on on things that that seem so silly like you know like cleaning products 
and not not going out for dinner, not traveling, because we we had a purpose for the money that that we worked so hard for. And that's what we were experiencing now was the the ultimate reward for all that effort. I don't think I'm ever gonna be not emotional when I talk about it. So, whew, in the end of the day, we had 15 embryos. And we sent them to genetic testing. And 11 of them... 11 of them were normal and one was a mosaic which is a mix of normal and abnormal cells but that can still be transferred even though it may not make it it wouldn't be um, a genetically affected embryo if you will so we technically had 12 embryos that were um, waiting for us, frozen, um, out of 15. And I remember when Dr. Libra called us and he said, it's a miracle. I never see anything like this. <laughs> And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is no miracle. This is years of, of so much effort, literally blood and tears that went into this whole process. And I was so grateful. I was so proud of myself for for sticking to it and and really proving that proving to myself mostly that I wasn't I wasn't the broken person that that I was made to believe I was I hope that sharing this helps at least one person out there realize that there's no effort that goes unnoticed in your body. Everything you do is a small step to get to your dreams. And again, all my respect and my heart goes to the people that fight a lot and put a lot of effort and they still can't get pregnant and realize their dreams of growing their families. But if you are still in the journey and you're wondering if the things you're doing are in vain, because it does feel like that a lot of the times, just know that it's not. And I will 
finish today with wishing you all a healthy and powerful journey. Wherever it ends, I hope that you find space to still be yourself, not lose yourself in the challenges of this journey. Take the time that you need to rest and, and still be a person that, that does other things besides trying to get pregnant. I love you. I thank you for listening. And I hope to be back soon. I have amazing interviews um, that are already in the oven. They just need to be trimmed and and they'll be ready for you. So it's it's exciting times here. And I hope to continue to bring some positivity and um, amazing stories from so many people out there that are willing to share. Yeah, I think that's it for today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all and I'll see you soon.